Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. One of my favorite things to do when Kay's doing announcements or really doing anything, when he goes off script, the best thing to do is just watch his family's face while, while that's happening. <laughs> Provides entertainment. You can tell when he goes off, off script. Well, uh, let me pray and we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent. And thank you that uh, Jesus has made it possible for the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of each of us who has called on your name. We ask that you would speak to us all today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if you have been coming for a while, we've been working our way through the, the book of Hebrews. We're now in chapter 10. The title of the, this morning's message is For All Time. For All Time. And to get our, our minds kind of tracking with the sermon today, I want you to think of um, the idea of a shadow, so just like a literal shadow, because one of the things we have seen so far, and we're going to see again today, is that shadows are um, really a, a, a phrase, a, a, even a metaphor that the author of Hebrews uses to, to tell us um, what the, the purpose of the Old Testament was and wasn't. So um, we're going to see this morning that it was actually a shadow and a type of what was to come. So to help us just get our minds around the idea of shadows, what we can learn from shadows and what we can't, I have some shadow images for us to enjoy. Okay, so what's the animal there? Camel. Camel. Good job. And um, it looks like they're traveling somewhere. So you can learn some things. We've got people on camels traveling somewhere. Next slide, please. So there we got a couple or friends or something at the beach. Um, and we can learn from that shadow. They, they're not in a hurry. They look relaxed. Uh, should be a pleasant day. Next slide, please. Okay, now we got friends sort of celebrating. Um, and so from all three of these shadows, you can put them up side by side, uh, we can learn a number of things. Here's some things we can learn. We learn that objects are real, so that camels are real, the people on them are real, the people holding hands are real, the friends jumping around are real. Um, we can learn that what they are. We learn that they're camels, not people, and then there's people on top. We learn that they're humans, and they're humans as well. Um, we can learn some things about what they're doing. We know the first group's traveling somewhere in the desert. Second image seems to be enjoying a day, and they're certainly having fun. Um, we can even detect some emotions from the shadows, uh, the, the first group, they're probably not as excited as the second and the third group, we're guessing. Um, and we know that they're real. They are very real images. You can put the slide down. So we, we probably don't often think about, I don't spend much time thinking about shadows, but shadows can be helpful, but they also have limitations. We don't know who's sitting on the camel. We don't know who are the, the two people holding hands? And we don't know the group of friends that are jumping around and why they're jumping around. Um, 
where this connects with the book of Hebrews is we're going to see in the first verse of chapter 10 today, uh, the author's reminding us once again that the Old Testament law and the sacrificial system was a shadow of what was to come, of the real thing. See, shadows uh, project something that is real. They are not the real thing. They're not the ultimate thing. They're projecting what the ultimate thing is. And we learn um, in Hebrews that the real thing that the shadow of the Old Testament was to project was Jesus who would come to earth and die on the cross for our sins. So look at verse 1 through 4. First point is this. We have been set apart in Christ for all time. Verse 1, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if the sacrifices were enough, why'd they keep doing them? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In other words, there is massive limitations to the Old Testament law and sacrificial system. The shadow of the law pointed to some really incredible truths. Here's some of the truths that the shadow of the law pointed to. One of the, the massive things it pointed to was that forgiveness of sins is possible. The shadow of the law gave a hope that sins can be forgiven. The shadow of the law also gave a glimpse that there is a way to enter into the presence of God. The shadow of the law gave a glimpse of what it means to be set apart as God's people. So it pointed to some really incredible realities, but the shadow of the law showed some significant deficiencies as well, which we're going to see throughout the first half of chapter 10. The shadow of the law shows that the priest's sacrificial substitutionary duty was never finished. They had to keep killing animals and sacrificing more and more for the sins of the people. See, in Christ, we have a decisive once-for-all forgiveness. It's, it's the better thing to come. In the law, there was some cleansing, but it wasn't once-for-all cleansing. In Jesus, we have once-for-all cleansing. One of the deficiencies of the law Though there was a way to draw near to God and enter his presence, it was only for a select person at a select time in a very select way. Not so for those who are in Jesus. The way into God's presence is open wide for all to come. See, Jesus himself pointed out some of the, the weaknesses and insufficiencies of the law. Look at verse five. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is a quotation of Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offering and sin offering you have taken no pleasure. 
Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. See, Jesus was the fulfillment. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So in other words, Jesus does away with the Old Testament law and sacrificial system. He, he, he was the fulfillment of the law. Look at verse 10. And by that, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So this can be a little confusing or a lot confusing. But the whole idea is that all the sacrifices that were offered on behalf of the priest themselves and the people had to keep being offered over and over again. But then there was this offering, a once for all offering, which was Jesus himself. Jesus who was perfect, fully man, fully God. When he died on the cross for the sins of the world, that was a once-for-all offering. It was so incredible that no other offerings had to be offered ever if we would receive that offering. See, I'm going to take this back. I know it's March, but let's go back to Christmas. And the celebration of Christmas is the celebration of Jesus coming to earth, God becoming man. And most Christmas services and somewhere during the Christmas season, read this verse. Matthew 1, 21. This is about Jesus. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The celebration of this baby in a manger is that he is God himself. He is the offering that God the Father sent, that when he died and bled on the cross, and then on the third day rose from the grave, anyone and everyone who looks to Jesus and puts their hope in him is forgiven and washed and cleansed. That's the good news. And that's why the author of Hebrews says this in verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That word sanctified in this context means to be made holy or to be set apart as holy. So if you are in Christ, meaning you are covered by Jesus' perfect righteousness and you trust in Jesus, you are set apart. You are made holy because of what Christ has done. Even if you have lots and lots of growth and maturing to do, it is a true statement in the past tense the moment you trusted in Jesus, you were set apart. You were made holy. You were sanctified. Depending on your church and religious background, uh, you, you may have different things that come to mind when you hear the word saint. You might think a saint is like the hall of fame of church history. Like that's a saint. Well, in the New Testament, because of this idea of being sanctified, being made holy, the Apostle Paul refers to every Christian 
as a saint. The moment you trusted in Jesus, no matter what you were doing prior to that moment, when you turn from your sins and you receive this offering, you were given sainthood by God himself. Now, depending on your, your background, that may mess with your mind some. So I'm just gonna let it mess with your mind some. And, and if you wanna talk about it, love to talk about it. But the idea is we have this once for all forgiveness. And this once for all forgiveness sets us apart when we receive it. Look at point number two. Our debt has been paid for all time. Our debt has been paid for all time. One of the things that we learn from the shadow of the law is that God is holy and humans are not. We are born with a sinful nature. One of the other things we learn is that the, the animal sacrifices were not enough. They were not enough. That's why he said in verse four, for it is impossible, it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We, we needed something else. So we have God, the holy creator, made human, humankind, mankind, mankind rebelled. We all inherited the sinful nature. So now God is opposed to humans in his holiness, and we are opposed to God by nature because of our sinfulness. And that gap is massive. And there's only one way to bridge that gap, and that all centers around Jesus being the perfect offering. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 11. When you're reading your Bible, just on your own, and you're trying to learn more about the Lord and grow in your relationship, keep in mind always that every single word matters. Every word has been inspired by God, and every word matters. It's intentional. And so there are some noticeable, important words in this little section here. So verse 11, he's talking about the Old Testament priest. And every priest stands daily at his service. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So it's this relentless, ongoing job. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, a one-time sacrifice for sins, listen to this. He sat down at the right hand of God. So we have priests that are constantly standing, constantly active. Jesus offers himself as this once-for-all sacrifice. And did you catch what he did after he did that? He sat down. He was done. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be a footstool for his feet. That's a quotation from Psalm 110. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So I want you to catch it. This, this shows the, the limitations of the Old Testament law and the incredible sufficiency of Jesus himself. So these priests, they had to keep offering sacrifices, keep sacrificing animals, and they couldn't, they couldn't sit down. They, they had to stand. They had to stay in motion. And one of the, 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 the 
weird ideas that popped into my head as I was preparing was picturing um, a mom of toddlers, okay? And so imagine if you told a mom of an active toddler, which most, if not all, toddlers are active, hey, why don't you just take a break? Just sit down, take it easy for a while. It's not an option. They can't do it. Why can't they do it? Because the work is relentless. And if they do that, the, the little toddler destroys the house or, or puts themselves in harm's way. So, so a mom of a toddler is standing like a priest. So it's not just standing, it's active, it's moving, it's chasing, it's, it's working nonstop. They cannot stop until the toddler is not a toddler anymore. Then they become teenagers. And then, and then which I love, as I'm looking at a whole row of them. Um, but the point is, it is relentlessly active. And so what the authors do in this contrast, but when Christ came in verse 12, he offered for all time a single sacrifice. One of the challenges of teaching and preaching the Bible is you're trying to find new words and ways to say things that maybe all of you have heard before. And I was just racking my brain and praying and I, I didn't come up with any new words. What I want you to see and want you to believe for yourself is how great the offering of Jesus, offering himself, himself. This is Jesus who had no beginning, who was in heaven in perfect fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus who did not have to enter into this broken world. This Jesus who was fully God becomes a man, a human, but he becomes a baby. So the one through whom all things were made then willingly puts himself in limitation of a baby's body. He was a real baby dependent on a real mom and a real father. And he grows up experiencing all the, the trials and hardships of a, of a kid and a, a young adult. And from what it seems like he grew up in a relatively poor family. So as he grows up, he's resisting sin and temptation in every way. So that one day, he could fulfill this great call of his life to be this once for all offering. As his ministry began and people started to flock to him, maybe sometimes not because of who he was, but what he could do for them. And as things went on for several years and his reputation grew and grew and grew, to come to Jesus or to see Jesus in a time where there were no hospitals and no medical um, benefits like we have, you can imagine, word got out, this, this man can heal the blind. This man can restore the life of a leper. This man can hear the deaf. This man, I heard this man even raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. This man can deliver demonically possessed people and restore them to the right mind. This man has great mercy and compassion on the worst of the worst. I heard this man hangs out at the home of all the outcasts of society. 
Not so he can join in what they're doing because he's so filled with love and compassion for them. This man, as his ministry moved on and it became clear that he was gonna be arrested and handed over and be crucified, this man, at least temporarily, was deserted by all his friends. They all left him, the ones he spent the most time with. This man knows what it's like to be alone and deserted in a way that no one else does in human history. This man, fully God, submitted to the Father's will and died on a wooden cross to be the perfect once-for-all offering. And not only that, as he's pierced, and as he's bleeding, and as he's suffering, and as he knows the wrath of God the Father is about to be poured out on him in full, this man actually saves one of the criminals that was crucified on the cross next to him. He so ministered to that man in that moment that that man was assured of his own salvation. That Jesus told that man as he's being suspended in the air for the sins of the world, today you will be with me in paradise. See, this sacrifice is this once for all incredible, unimaginable sacrifice. And that offering is what gives you and I hope for our salvation. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've turned away, if you call on the name of Jesus, he will pay for all your sins. This once for all sacrifice is meant to be good news for those of you who have been walking with Jesus for many, many years. Every sin, every regret, every thing that bothers your conscience, Jesus paid for in full. That's why this once for all offering is such a huge deal. Listen to verses 12 through 14 again. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single, sufficient, perfect, matting those words, sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, meaning God the Father accepted the sacrifice. Mission accomplished. Have a seat, son. You just purchased a people for my kingdom, for my glory. You accomplished what you were sent to accomplish. And now you get this position of honor at my right hand. Well done, perfect once for all sacrifice. Listen to verse 14 again. For by single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So before we look at the last few verses we're gonna look at today, I wanna slow down with verse 14. Because there's a few things in verse 14 that should catch your attention. For by single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we want to look at the word perfected. What does that mean? And the idea that we are being sanctified. Because if you were paying attention a few minutes ago, I just said, you are sanctified. So which is it? Are you sanctified? 
or are you being sanctified? Yes, that's correct. And we'll get there in a moment. So let's talk about being perfect, being made perfect. Sure, if I had you raise your hand, do you feel like you are perfect right now? None of us who are honest are going to say we feel perfect. And if you did say you were perfect, say, I am perfect. Perfect liar, perfect what? Um, I'm in a family of five, so I'm married, I have three children. And even if I said I was perfect, I have four witnesses that would speak contrary to that statement. I am imperfect in many, many, many ways, just like you are as well. So you can be a Christian and you're not perfect. But here it's saying you've been perfected for all time. So how does this work? What, what are they talking about? What I think the author of Hebrews is talking about here is, is positionally before the Lord, when you trust in Jesus, you are seen as perfect. You are covered and clothed with Jesus's perfect righteousness. So you're not perfect but you're declared perfect. Um, to help us understand this a little bit, let's look at Romans chapter three, verses 21 through 26. And in Romans chapter three, picture a courtroom. Picture God as a judge with a robe and a gavel. Okay, that's, that's the context. There's a lot of legal words in here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. See, the problem with the law wasn't the law, it was human nature. We couldn't do it. We couldn't keep it perfectly. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All humanity, except for Jesus. And are justified by his grace as a gift. That's declared righteous. Covered and closed with Jesus's perfect righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over the former sins it was just, it was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus in other words positionally before the lord a christian has a perfect standard a perfect standing and it's not because of themselves, it's because of Jesus. So one way to picture it is we are just covered and clothed in Jesus' perfect obedience. So where you and I failed, Jesus passed the test perfectly. And when we turned to him and we trusted in him, his righteousness is credited to us. So we are covered with Jesus' perfection. So we do not believe that the Bible teaches what what some believe in perfectionism, that you can actually be made perfect in this life. No, that will come when you die. We can grow, we can change. God's will is that we become more like Jesus, but we will never reach actual perfection until we are with the Lord. But we are covered and clothed with his righteousness. So that's the first tricky thing. For by single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So let's deal with this idea of sanctified. In the Bible and in theology, sanctified or sanctification um, can be used in, in a couple different ways. Sanctified means to be made holy, or set apart, 
And that, that's like a standing like we talked about being saints. But it can also mean to be conformed into the image of God. So in that sense, we are being sanctified. So whatever you were doing the moment you turned to Jesus and trusted in him, you were covered and clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness and the process of God's Holy Spirit, which is now in you, the process of being conformed into his image began then. And that process of being sanctified will continue until you die or Jesus returns. So it, it is a process. And it is God's will for every believer who has been indwelt with God's spirit that we become more and more like Jesus over time. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This isn't to earn God's favor or love. It's because we have received freely God's favor and love. We're now to pursue the Lord. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are to grow. We are to change. But that's because we have been declared righteous and made holy, set apart. Now we're to walk it out. And when God's Spirit came inside of you, you now had new abilities given to you, new, new power from the Holy Spirit that you can actually change and grow and be different. One of my favorite verses in the Bible that captures this tension is Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So you've been saved, now work it out. Now, so that doesn't feel like a heavy weight on our shoulders, listen to this next verse. For it is God who works in you. So we're to work it out, but ultimately it's God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. So that is the good news that this single offering makes possible. Last point. We have been given new life and forgiveness for all time. If you are in Jesus, you have been given new life and forgiveness of your sins for all time. Meaning nothing can take it away. You cannot lose it. If you are in Christ, you are saved. You are forgiven. You are washed. You are cleansed and you were dead spiritually and you were made alive and so that is a great hope and a great comfort last three verses we're going to look at or last four verses verses 15 through 18 and the holy spirit also bears witness to us for after saying and what he's going to do here is quote part of jeremiah 31 31 through 34 describing the promised new covenant that Jesus brought in. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 
Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, may you really truly at the deepest core level of your being believe that Jesus really will remember your sins no more. That God the Father will remember your sins no more. That your debt of rebellion has been paid for in full. So you can have a clear conscience. You can have joy in worshiping and delighting in the Lord. And there's not this one nagging sin that you did that maybe nobody in this room or nobody watching even knows. But that one thing hounds you and haunts you and, and just comes after you at times and, and makes you want to run away from the Lord, makes you want to run away from his people. No, even that thing, whatever that thing is, Jesus' is offering once for all was absolutely sufficient. And the Lord wants you to know that. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to experience the freedom that is found in the idea that I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Jesus paid for it. He absorbed it. He took it upon himself. He took it from you in a sense. So you don't need to hold on to it any longer. We have been given new life and forgiveness once for all. Listen to this last verse from Titus. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Now, won't you really believe this? Not because of works done by us in righteousness. You did not earn your salvation. You will not keep your salvation. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This idea, this big word, regeneration, is God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit coming inside of you. And the only reason that is possible is because Jesus' once for all offering was sufficient. That now it's not a high priest once a year that can go into God's presence, but the people of God are the dwelling place of God. We house God's Spirit in us as believers. That shows how sufficient this once for all offering is. So may you be encouraged that I know these themes keep getting at something. There's this repetitive laws in, insufficient. The offering is superior. Well, the reason he is doing this over and over again is because he wants Christians to get it. Remember in Hebrews, they, they are, some are tempted to walk away from the Lord. Some are tempted to shrink back from the Lord. And he's saying, no. You have the only hope for all humanity in Jesus. Do not shrink back from it. Enjoy it. Trust in it. Believe it. See, in Christ, we have been given an incredible hope and help for all time. We've been set apart in Christ for all time. Our debt has been paid in full for all time. And we have been given new life and forgiveness for all time. Sometimes when I preach, I like to give you homework. 
My, my homework for this message is rest in these truths. Rest. Rest in the reality of what Christ has done for you. If you wouldn't mind standing, we're going to pray and then sing a final song and the band can come up. Holy Spirit, we ask that the reality of this once for all sacrifice would be so, <coughs> so encouraging to people. It would be so freeing. For those who have this just memory of the past that is regrettable, I pray you would free them. You would set them free once for all, for all time. Lord, may there be a, a flood of joy and fresh forgiveness, fresh hope, fresh faith in who you are and how sufficient you are. And may there be joyful response and a, a heart that's set on telling people the good news of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that all we read today is absolutely true. And we thank you that we have been given the gift of salvation. So would you give us great comfort in what you have done for us. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.